Welcome to Spirits Podcast, a boozy dive into mythology, legends, and folklore. Every week we pour a drink and learn about a new story from around the world. I'm Amanda, and I am doing the intro solo this week because Julia is taking some well-deserved time off. Welcome to episode 211, A Christmas Carol with Emily Vanderwerf. We joked slash threatened that we would have Emily back at the uh, at the end of last year for this year's uh, Christmas time episode. And sure enough, we came through and we talk extremely enthusiastically all about Christmas, Christmas media, what that means, uh, compulsory Christmas celebrating in America and how we um, you sort of export that to the entire world. So if you want to engage with the sort of cultural force that is Christmas and Christmas media, this is the episode for you. And listen, if you are over it, if you don't, um, want to talk more about Christmas that's not a holiday you celebrate and you're like, damn, I can't believe that we talk about Christmas nonstop for two months. You don't have to listen to it. That's really okay. I'm giving you permission. Don't worry. But do you know who would never make you talk about a holiday you don't celebrate or imply that that is the only meaning of being American? It's our new patrons. Gerald, Casey, and AJ, thank you so, so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. This time of year, there's lots of stuff to buy. And we really appreciate that you put your money to supporting our podcast. It's how we have jobs. And we are extremely grateful for it now and every week, including to our supporting producer-level patrons, Alicia, Allison, Deborah, Hannah, Jen, Jessica, Keegan, Nasalkins, Liz, Megan Linger, Megan Moon, Phil Fresh, Polly, Sarah, Skyla, Samney Todd, and Alex Forbes. And huge thanks to our legend-level patrons, Audra, Chelsea, Drew, Francis, Jack Marie, Key, Lada, Mark, Morgan, Necrofancy, Renegade, and BME Scotty. I've been spending a lot of time recently uh, playing Stardew Valley on my Switch and watching comforting TV. And for me, that might mean re-watching shows that I love, which all of you know is primarily elementary, the excellent uh, procedural uh, on CBS that is now over, Rip, uh, but stars Lucy Liu and Johnny Lee Miller. It's, it's incredible. But I also started watching, because a family member gifted me with an HBO Max login that we are completely legally sharing, The Great Pottery Throwdown, which is a wonderful show. You can find it both on YouTube and on HBO Max. They recently came to Roku. Finally, I can watch it on my TV. It's very exciting. And it is just uh, lovely British people making pottery. I sometimes do cry at um, how hard they try and what pottery means to them. But um, if if you really love British Bake Off and you perhaps do not want to watch a baking show, because even I can get tired of baking shows from time to time, The Great Pottery Throwdown is completely tonally the same. And I highly recommend it. I also highly recommend, if you are able, buying your holiday gifts from local businesses that need your support or from creators online that you want to direct your money toward. And if Multitude is one of those, we highly recommend that you check out our digital merch. If you want to uh, give delivery workers a bit of a break right now and focus on either local stuff you can pick up yourself or digital gifts that you do not have to get shipped anywhere, digital merch just in general or digital gifts are a great way to go. And we have lots of digital bundles for sale, including PDFs for spirits. We have the cool cryptid compendium where Join the Party and Spirits collaborated, Julia and Eric Silver, on making some fantastic cryptids that you can bring into your RPG that you don't have to slay or defeat, but that you can make friends with or date. It's incredible. We also have phone wallpapers. We have a music pack where you can download it and use it to like score your home games or play out loud as you play campaigns with your friends over Zoom. So whatever you need, we we have it for you, in addition to, of course, tons of physical merch. All of that can be browsed at multitude.productions merch. All right. Well, no matter if this week is a holiday week for you or it is just another week where hopefully you get fewer emails than usual, I hope that you have a very restful one. You deserve it. And we will be here for you next week with a whole new episode. So enjoy Spirits Podcast Episode 211, A Christmas Carol with Emily Vanderwerf. Well, everybody, a year later, as promised, 
we have with us critic at large at Vox and co-creator of the excellent podcast Arden, Emily Vanderwerf back. Emily, if I could, I just want to bestow upon you a new title, which is Official Spirits Christmas Ghost Correspondent. Oh, thank you so much. I'm going to make this happen every year now. Like, yes. I think you should make this a tradition. I will be on the show before Christmas. We will talk about something Christmas related. I'm just putting my marker on that that spot on the board. It's going to be great. We're all going to love it. Good times. Maybe next year we'll do a uh, myth movie night of your choice of adaptation of A Christmas Carol. And you can tell us everything that they did wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. I will do that. I actually was just on um, Blank Check, that podcast, to talk about the 2009 Christmas Carol, which is awful. We barely talked about A Christmas Carol, though. We mostly just talked about, you know, pointless stuff. So... We've always got that. uh, No, please don't make me watch that movie ever again. (laughs) Is that the Jim Carrey one where he plays like all of the characters? Yep. It's directed by Robert Zemeckis. It's motion capture. It is one of the ugliest movies ever made. Mm -hmm. It is disturbing and gross and disgusting. Yes. Yes, it is. As I was walking into the studio, uh, my partner Eric was like, yeah, yeah, just asked Emily what it's like for Jim Carrey to like fuck this up. Um, (laughs) And I didn't know what that meant, but now I do. Yes, absolutely. No, I love this story. I love being here. Actually, I love when I hear somebody on a podcast and the hosts are like, we should have you back to talk about this next year. And then I like scroll all the way up and I'm like, oh, didn't happen or oh, they did. So I am really glad that a alternate Emily Vanderwerk who's listening to this show and hearing herself is like, I wonder if they had her back. And they did. They did. They did. We did it. I was telling you before the podcast started that I put it the day that we recorded your episode last year. I put it in the calendar for this year. Email <laughs> Emily on November to Perfect. get her back on the show. Perfect. I'm so glad you did. And I'm so glad we're all here to talk about Charles Dickens' immortal classic, A Christmas Carol. I just introduced Transport the subject. Us. I don't Whoa. know why I'm doing what I'm doing anymore. No, you're I'm doing hosting great. now. It's I love my show. it. You are once a year, one special night each year. We uh, <laughs> we hang up the stockings, we put out cookies and uh, baby carrots, and Emily comes to tell us about Christmas stuff. Yay. Emily becomes the ghosts to lead us through A Christmas Carol. Yes, yes, yes. But yeah, I, I love this story. I'm so happy to be here. Awesome. Well, how about we start with kind of like a primer for the the people who have been living under a rock and have not read or seen any version of A Christmas Carol. Right. Okay. So A Christmas Carol is a story of an old man named Ebenezer Scrooge, who is a miser. Uh, He's very, he hoards his money. He doesn't give anything to the poor. He's kind of a mean old SOB. He uh, is famous for saying, bah humbug. And especially about Christmas. And everyone is like, oh, Christmas a humbug, ha ha ha. And he goes home on Christmas Eve night and is, you know, just secure in his mean ways. He goes home and is visited by the ghost of his former partner, Jacob Marley, who tells him, listen, you got to be nicer to people and you got to give more of your money away. And uh, you're going to be visited by three ghosts who are going to convince you of this fact. Scrooge meets uh, the first of these ghosts, who's the ghost of Christmas past. This this is the ingenious thing about this story. Like the structure of it is just ironclad. Like you cannot, you cannot mess with this structure. He meets the first ghost, the ghost of Christmas past, who takes him back to his past Christmases when he was still a young, fresh-faced man who, you know, loved doing stuff and loved being a person, basically, and loved helping his fellow man. One of the flaws of this story is that Scrooge is basically reformed by the end of the Christmas past. Like there, you get into Christmas present, he's still a little grouchy, but you know we're all a little grouchy around christmas mm-hmm. but he goes uh, then it's christmas present and he sees the day of christmas 
that is unfolding um, before him alongside the ghost of Christmas present, who's basically Father Christmas. The ghost of Christmas past, by the way, is like a little angel candle thing. And then he meets the ghost of Christmas yet to come, who shows him a Christmas um, right after he's died when everybody is talking about how much they hate him. And also, Tiny Tim, the small boy that Scrooge becomes unbearably attached to for some reason, uh, has also died. And Scrooge is very sad both about Tiny Tim's death and his own. He wakes up. It's Christmas morning. He looks out a window and yells, you there, boy, what day is it? And the boy says, it's Christmas. It's Christmas Day. And then he goes and buys a turkey and brings it to uh, the family of his his beleaguered clerk, Bob Cratchit, who is also the father of Tiny Tim, who is a weird person to just be mentioning at the end of this story. But that's basically what a Christmas carol is. Um, it is a story about an old man who reforms his ways and actually... He doesn't bring the turkey to the Cratchits in the book. In the book, he just has it delivered. And then the next day at work, he's like, guess what? That was me. (laughs) (laughs) See, if my boss showed up with a turkey at my doorstep on Christmas Day, well, my boss is Amanda, so that doesn't really count. But if it was (laughs) a boss boss from any other job that I had, I would be like, no, please, please leave. I'm with my family. Please go. Amanda, how come you're not showing up at Julia's house with turkey on Christmas? You see, when somebody alerts me to like the fundamental inequality of me being rich and paying my employees like unlivable wages, what I do is just buy them a single turkey. Um, But I think (laughs) if I were better, I would, I don't know, redistribute all my wealth. Um, That's just me. I mean, it was like the first actionable thing he could do, I feel like. Yeah, you know, it was the first thing that came to mind. He could work out the logistics of it later. Um, He does usually give money to the money collectors who are shown, you know, collecting money for the poor. And most versions of the story, like, emphasize this moment because I think it is a sign that his reform goes beyond I'm going to be nice to Bob Cratchit though he is also nice to Bob Cratchit so why do we like this story why do you think it's become such a uh, a phenomenon there is sort of this conventional wisdom this is the most popular Christmas story outside of the one you hear at church every year if you go to church and honestly the more that Christmas becomes a secular holiday and less a religious one this I think is you know kind of its original founding text in a lot of ways. It is just, again, as I mentioned, the structure of it is so perfect. Everything about it is just like perfectly tuned to get you to keep watching this story, to keep watching this man's reform. There is a built-in tension in past, present, future that, you know, is exploited perfectly. It's kind of spooky, especially if you read it with the original illustrations. There's that horror element. But also like the fact of Scrooge's redemptive arc is really convincing like you don't it's hard to do a redemptive arc and this story does it well like i'm i'm not the world's biggest dickens fan i like i like a lot of his his writing but i think this book is this novella really is is pretty ironclad as a structure now that's the reason we kept adapting it that's the reason we kept telling that story but it also sort of reflects this thing that we want around christmas time which is this idea that we're all going to take care of our fellow man um, and and make sure that we're helping each other out. I think that my final sort of notion on it is we. This is I, I talked to the author um, Sarah Archer a few years back. She wrote a book called um, Mid-Century Christmas, which is about Christmas in the U.S. between World War two and like 1965 basically and that's like one of the key eras for defining what we think of as christmas but the other key era is like 
the 1840s to the 1860s, and Christmas Carol is at the center of that. This is a story that really defines how we think about Christmas. Like, think of how many people have like a Dickensian Christmas village in their basement or something. Like, yeah, that's because of this book. That's because of this story. So A Christmas Carol it really defines in a lot of ways how we think about this holiday, the values we attach to it, the idea of, you know, family togetherness and taking care of people making sure no one has too little for one day a year, which is, you know, I'm sure what Dickens <laughs> intended, that we have one day where we're nice to each other. Just the one. But yeah, it's it's so central to our understanding of Christmas. Absolutely. I think one of my favorite aspects about the like history of A Christmas Carol is like Dickens was like, I don't want to write a sequel to this or anything like that, but I still kind of want to make some money off of it. So I'm just going to do public readings and public performances of this book, which I think is very cool. And I wish was a tradition that we were still doing because I think that there is something like inherently cool about telling ghost stories during Christmas time, during the solstice, during the darkest time of the year. Yeah. And like that used to be a big tradition, you know, there's this um, song, it's the most wonderful time of the year. And there's Mm. a reference in it to telling scary ghost stories. And like, this is a tradition we no longer really have. Like you'll occasionally see like a collection by short story writers, like Christmas ghost stories that are newly generated for the whatever era it is but like spooky christmas stories um used to be especially in the uk they were like a big deal and dickens was sort of capitalizing on that phenomenon but also like pioneering it in a way because the way that he told a ghost story that also kind of had a moral at the end while not exclusively new like really cemented that as as a as a key part of the form but you also see just just very spooky christmas ghost stories the thing i'd say they all have in common is they're kind of cozy because i think christmas is an inherently cozy time of year just aesthetically as we think about it so they're about people who are you know alone on the holiday or it's a whole bunch of like strangers trapped in an old country house or something like that and then they you know they meet a ghost and it's scary for a while until they realize that like death is coming for us all and christmas is a way we mark the passage of time and like the underlying theme of so many christmas stories is you only get so many before you die and like the christmas ghost story just like takes that and makes it text yeah i do love a good reminder of my own mortality around the holidays that's always a plus yeah like i think now listen i am famous for taking everything and making it like weird and sad like i took a perfectly good comedy podcast and turned it into like a a tragic oh hell yeah meditation on my own psychological trauma so that's why we get along so well (laughs) so yeah um but there is this tradition of like holidays because they are ephemeral they're one day out of the year we grow older and yet the holiday kind of stays the same a little bit you know most of them are functionally they sort of end up having this element of being about death you know halloween is very explicit about it but even something like easter you know is about this idea that like we're going to die someday but you know if you're a christian you sort of believe that that's not it you're going to go on to heaven and hang out with jesus or whatever christmas is not necessarily a time of year when we're thinking about death a lot but i think the older you get especially you know if you have kids or you have nieces and nephews or you have you have people who are growing up and you're seeing them grow up alongside the holiday like it does remind you oh the number of christmases we have regardless of how old you are is one less every year and like thinking about that is sort of intrinsic to the holiday which also again grew up out of solstice out of yule out of saturnalia out of all of these holidays that were like 
the idea of this is the shortest night of the year. This is the year when sort of death is very present. This is the time of year when we're not sure we're going to emerge from this, even though we always do. It's worth celebrating that idea. It's worth trying to make a little more light on that night. There is something very poignant about that, about looking back over the year that was and saying, you know, we get another year. And now I'm quoting my own podcast. <laughs> we, we get, you know, we get more time. You know, even if this Christmas is our is our last one, we got it. We had it. We get to celebrate that alongside the people we love. And like, I think that's why Christmas has such a melancholy attached to it. It's impossible to celebrate it without thinking about, oh, I'm a week away from a new year and I'm a year older. Time continues to pass. Have I accomplished what I want to accomplish? Do I have the people I love around me? And I think this year of all years, when Amanda cannot deliver her traditional Christmas turkey to Julia <laughs> because <laughs> of the pandemic, you know, I think we're remembering that ever more, even more than ever. It's going to come via DoorDash, Julia. I know it's a little uh, a little impersonal, but just, just look out for it. You know what? I still appreciate it regardless. Thanks, boss. <laughs> But I really like your point, and I'm I'm thinking now because now that you've put this in my head, how many holidays are just about death? But yeah. I think that's like, I think that's why we celebrate them because yeah, it is an acknowledgement that you know there is one less of this year, and this is the marking the passage of time. But at the same time, like the acknowledgement of death allows us to celebrate life, yes, and it allows us to reflect on how we are living our lives and how we can improve that, and also at the same time reflect on how we have been living our life and be like, damn, I'm living a good life. I'm surrounded by people who love me, and I I've done good things, and I've made an impact on other people, and that's what's important. Yeah, and I think. A Christmas Carol really zeroes in on that aspect of what are the things in your life that you're proud of? What are the things in your life? Who are the people in your life that you love? How have you helped someone else? What do you have beyond yourself that is important to you, that is necessary to you? And the 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 story is so centered on that. And I think it really before the late 1700s, but especially in this started to change in the 1800s. Christmas was a time of drunken revelry, you know? Like there was a full like 12 days, which is where we get the 12 days of Christmas when people just got drunk and like the poor were like wandered into rich people's homes and ate off their tables. Oh, hell yeah. And like, yeah. And there's, uh, uh, you know, they were, they were breaking stuff and like it was a wild time. And so... To a degree, A Christmas Carol is propaganda designed to prop up the capitalist system and like make rich people seem like, oh, maybe they'll they'll come help us instead of us having to go help them, help ourselves at their houses. That's so British. What I'm saying is, as proud socialists, we must get <laughs> drunk on Christmas and break something. I know. That's always been my, my primary kind of impression of A Christmas Carol is that it is now held up as something that is deeply nostalgic. Yes. And I, th I think you're right that it's like it is kind of the urtext of like the modern capitalist secular Christmas mm -hmm. um, because it wasn't always celebrated that way. And when it came out, maybe, you know, maybe Dickens was just trying to, you know, like get a, I don't know, like a, an angle on it that he felt had pathos. But now I think people hold it up as like the thing that we are missing and the thing we must return to when it was pure. Yeah. Dickens is really drafting off a movement from the 19th century to sort of can canonize this, um, this idea of an English Christmas that never existed. 
Um, there's a famous essay by Washington Irving that I can't quite remember the title of. It's something like An Old English Christmas. And he is writing to an American audience about how Christmas is celebrated in merry old England. Because in the early United States, there was like so much like destruction around Christmas time. We see like remnants of this tradition. Um, Philadelphia has something called the Mummers, I believe. Mm, yeah. And the Mummers are like a weird like vestigial organ of this old version of Christmas. They are no longer going around and breaking stuff. But they are going around and like performing little Christmas pageants or, um, you know, going to your house and they're in essence carolers, um, which is another vestigial organ we have of this this time in uh, Christmas history. And so Washington Irving writes this thing and is like, here's how Christmas was meant to be celebrated. And he's kind of just making it up. And yeah. that filters through a whole bunch of other people. And then it ultimately becomes a Christmas carol, which solidifies this idea that was taking hold, but hadn't yet like cemented itself and then a christmas carol comes along that and um twas the night before christmas which talking about that next year yes (laughs) (laughs) writing it down (laughs) yay are um so central to the way we think about the holiday especially in the united states and the uk but you know that version of christmas has been exported almost everywhere everywhere has weird local traditions you know christmas is kfc day in japan um there are a bunch of different uh twists on Santa Claus or Father Christmas around the world, some of which are horribly racist. Oh, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but yeah, like, like it has become one of our chief cultural exports. Like, I've been thinking about waning American power a lot lately, um, mm. which is just, you know, a fun thing to bring up on this podcast. But, <laughs> and I've been like, well, does that mean that Christmas will sort of die off? And no, I think honestly, perhaps the greatest contribution to worldwide culture America has made is cementing this idea of Christmas, which feels kind of like it can't be removed. Like we're always going to have this idea of, you know, the Coca-Cola Santa Claus and the, um, you know, gathering together to wish your good man, wish your fellow man good cheer. And granted, A Christmas Carol is a very British story, but like we kind of took it and commercialized it. And like Mm. that is what has made it stick around. I think the reason that is so American is because it completely erases any cultures that are not like white Anglo-Saxon mm. Christian ones. And it's not a thing that is good, but it is a thing that is American. So I, I think that's a really kind of useful like touchstone for kind of analyzing that influence as a whole. Yeah. And I also think that America has kind of created this like subculture of Christmas media, like just ignoring the the sheer ridiculousness that is like the Hallmark Christmas movie and that entire franchise. We also have all of the like traditional stop motion movies and all that. Like Christmas movie is a specific genre, which is wild. And TV show Christmas episode. We are sponsored first and foremost this week by Dipsy. And we have told you in the past about the sexy stories and wonderful, you know, kind of pleasure-based self-care that Dipsy provides. But you might not know that they also have other features that you may be interested in. Their sleepovers feature popular Dipsy characters speaking directly to the listeners to say goodnight and tuck you in. It is very cozy. It is very comforting and wholesome. And the characters stay close to you as they like grade papers in the background or like play very soft guitar while you drift off. So it very much is like having company with you, which can be really comforting if you're, you know, feeling distracted or anxious and trying to sleep. They have bedtime stories with classic Dipsy storytelling, but less explicit. So it's more of a story that like makes you feel a little bit interested, but lets your mind wander and sort of drift off into sleep. And their soundscapes feature calming sounds to drift off to that are focused on just sounds. So not story or characters or dialogue, but like ocean waves or rain. And it's really highly produced. And that's something that you can count on with Dipsy that it's 
it's not going to be jarring or different volume levels or like louder in one ear than the other. And particularly when you're trying to drift off to sleep or just to zone out for a minute, you don't want those kinds of distractions in your way. So those are just some of the absolutely fantastic stuff that you can check out on Dipsy. At dipsystories.com slash spirits, you can get a 30-day free trial. That's D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash spirits for a 30-day free trial. One more time, dipsystories.com slash spirits. We are also sponsored this week by BetterHelp. If there is something that is keeping you up at night that is distracting you, maybe, I don't know, you have some family-related uh, stress or drama that you are confronting this time of year, it can be really, really helpful. It is really helpful for me to be able to talk about that with a counselor. And I get my therapy through BetterHelp, which is how I am able to talk to my counselor on video chat or to correspond, like email and sort of text her in the app when we are not having a session. And it's super helpful because they have a huge range of expertise available that might not be locally available to you. Even for me, living in New York City, there are only so many therapists that are available that take my insurance, that are doing the kinds of things I want to do, much less um, are available right now or, you know, are offering new um, video chats or something like that. It's awesome that whenever you sign up for BetterHelp, you know that there will be therapists available to you who are interested in the things that you want to talk about and able to actually meet. And if you don't click right away with the therapist you're first matched with, BetterHelp lets you switch counselors for free. It is super, super easy to do. It is not stressful. It does not make you feel guilty. And that is something uh, also, you know, the way that it's affordable more so than traditional offline counseling, that BetterHelp is definitely an improvement on the kind of therapy I got before it. But don't just take my word for it. You can also go to their website, betterhelp.com slash reviews to read other people's testimonials. And you can go specifically to betterhelp.com slash spirits to join the over 1 million people who've taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. You deserve it. That's betterhelp.com slash spirits, where you can get 10% off your first month of counseling and let BetterHelp know that you came from the show. That's betterhelp.com slash spirits. And finally, we are sponsored by Every Plate. You can experience not just a full plate, but a full budget with America's Best Value Meal Kit. Every Plate gives you meals you enjoy and also your budget will enjoy delivered right to your door. Their dinners are a cheaper alternative to takeout or delivery, and recipes come together in about 30 minutes. So it is definitely faster even than, you know, ordering takeout and waiting for it to get delivered or going to the grocery store and figuring out what to do and what to buy and then coming home, doing a meal from scratch, etc. It's a whole you know, rigmarole. They offer contactless delivery to your doorstep for easy home cooking on your budget. And you also have less time deciding what to cook, how to do it, the steps to make, which gives you more time to relax, unwind, spend time with family, whatever you're doing. They recently expanded their shipping zone, so you may want to go to their website and check out if your zip code is included. Maybe it is now and it wasn't before. But seriously, you're going to want to go to the website and check out the weekly menu that they have for this week. I had the um, chili cherry pork chops. I never cooked pork chops before. I tried kind of doing it in this format where somebody tells me how to prepare it, how long to do it, the right size to buy. I'm just like, I don't know what size of pork chop to buy. And the way to make something really tasty on the side with roasted potatoes and carrots in this case. And it really is teaching me skills. Like I feel as if next time if I want to recreate this or do a spin on it, I have the kind of skills and fundamentals to know what to do, which is a really fun thing to keep continuing to learn and improve. So you can get three weeks of every plate meals for only $2.99 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering the code SPIRITS3. That is three weeks of every plate meals for only $2.99 per meal at everyplate.com with the code SPIRITS3. 3.
And now let's get back to the show. By the way, I forgot to light this before we started talking, but I'm lighting my simmered cider oh, candle, ooh. which feels vaguely nice. on theme in multiple ways. We'll count that right as now. your cocktail for this episode since <laughs> you uh, it is 9 a.m. for you and we don't expect you to be drinking. <laughs> uh, you know what? I, I'm happy to. Like, uh, except <laughs> I have to go to work in a bit. Um, Understand. I have to go, like write stuff. <laughs> <laughs> which is what I do for a living, which is wild. Mm. Yeah, the Christmas movie uh, media, like like industrial complex, is so like so American. Like mm-hmm. there are obviously great Christmas movies from every country that produces cinema. There's a, a a Christmas Tale is this French movie I love, but it's a little bit darker. It's a little bit more cynical. Like. The American Christmas movie, which tends to be like centered on the idea of family coming together in some way, which can include like like lovers coming together, which is like a sort of a subset of that story, mm-hmm. you know, and then everything's happy at the end. Honestly, I think in the last 10 years or so has become sort of has become really detached from what it used to be and what made so many of our favorite Christmas movies and TV shows good. Like, again, there's this unbelievable weight of melancholy to something like A Charlie Brown Christmas or Mm. It's a Wonderful Life or any of these number of stories. And yet now when we get a Christmas movie that has something thorny in it, we're like, give us the happy ending you know just give us the happy parts and i understand that that is a response to a world that has just sort of gone off the rails and that we're all very concerned about you know the uh death throes of global capitalism which will probably go on for several more centuries and you know climate change and all of these existential crises that we are facing and so we just want an escape from them by watching a nice christmas movie and i don't begrudge anyone that but like at a certain point christmas stories are more powerful if they acknowledge we're all going to die to get things back on theme, apparently. <laughs> That's always the theme of our show is, hey, remember, you're going to die. <laughs> well, we need to change the uh, the name of the podcast, Amanda, to Memento Mori. I'm sure that's already another podcast, but yeah, yeah, can yeah. that be our like subtitle? Uh, it, it can be a, a theme, like a cloak that we put on, I think, uh, with, with great frequency. Harder to market, but better SEO, honestly. Mm. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to get a bunch of uh, Google searches for whichever Roman emperor it was that they supposedly had the guy follow him around and remind him he was going to die. I'm really interested in how we can use the kind of inevitability of Christmas and the obligatory um, nature of like being American and needing to participate in Christmas somehow, even if that's not a holiday you celebrate. You know, I, I wish that that and the message of texts like Christmas Carol can instead prompt us to ask, you know, am I happy with my legacy at the end of my life, like, am am I doing things now that a ghost of Christmas present would be like tight? I'm showing you your life, and you should be proud. Because I, I don't know, that would be that would be, I guess, a, a positive. I'm like grasping for a, a thing that we can use to extend this spirit of giving from a you know obligatory like cultural participation to a thing that you know has influence outside of just the month of December. You look at this story. It's certainly a very capitalist story. Like, I don't want to say it's anti-capitalist. It does have this vision of capitalism where the richest among us are constantly bestowing their money upon the lower classes. And like, I think that's a thing that America latched onto because redistribution of wealth became like a thing in the Great Depression, World War II, the 1950s, until tax cuts sort of eroded at that 
that was an era when we made most of our great Christmas media. Like if you are sort of trying to create propaganda of capitalism is good as long as rich people are constantly giving their money to other people, which is not really capitalism, but close enough, like it's, in, it's on the spectrum, then, you know, you need to, you need to tell stories about that. It is a thing that you need to sort of, you need to create in people the belief that they are good if they are sharing their wealth. And of course, what it has become is share your wealth in December, I guess, and then, you know, maybe give your kids really nice presents and then it's over. It's January. It's done. What this sounds like to me is that trickle down economics ruined a Christmas carol. Absolutely. Like, <laughs> add it to the pile. Gosh, like I'm thinking about great Christmas movies. And I like a lot of Christmas movies made since 1980. But they are very much more about, oh, here are the aesthetics of Christmas. We're going to make this look the most Christmas. Like, Home Alone is an extremely, I'm using conservative in the sense of just like a, a general move, generalized movement toward defending a particular way of life against all change. Home Alone is, is basically that. Now, granted, he's defending his house against robbers, which is, you know, acceptable. But you don't want Joe Pesci in your house. Come on. <laughs> I would love if Joe Pesci was in my house. If he came over for Christmas, I would let him in even without a mask. I would be like, Joe Pesci, do you have COVID? He'd say, I haven't been tested in months. I'd be like, come on in. Just come on in. I, I need to admit something to you and to our listeners. And it's that um, I watched Home Alone and Home Alone 2 for the first time two days ago. Oh, wow. What'd you think? Wow. I really enjoyed it. I Good. thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah. I was I was like, I need more Tim Curry in the second one. That was my big opinion. How'd you feel about, uh, about a certain cameo in the second film? Oh, not great. But uh, <laughs> I understand why they did it. But mm, no, not great. Yeah, it takes I you know. out of it. It does. really does. I booed and my husband was like, okay, calm down. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think you look at these Christmas stories from post-1980 and it's so much more about materialism in some way or another. It's not about like charity so much as it is you should give other people presents and giving makes you happy. But that gets distilled down to, oh, I should give my family presents. I should give my friends presents. And yes, you should. That's cool. Do that, please. Give me presents, actually. You can DM me on Twitter for my address. I would love if you just started mailing me stuff. <laughs> a friend of mine just mailed me a thousand stickers that say boneless that are supposed to go on like, like you know, <gasps> meat packaging at the grocery store. That's fantastic. She found a place to order them online and she sent them to me and said, Merry Christmas. What am I going to do with a thousand stickers that say boneless? What can't know. you do? What Put can't it on you everything. Do? Put them on everything. <laughs> Everything is boneless now. Everything's boneless. You boneless. just will it to, into existence. <laughs> I'll just so put one on every funny. day for the next thousand days. Perfect. I love it. The best part of this story is she originally sent me stickers that said partially frozen and the store mm -hmm. messed it up. Also good. So now I have a thousand stickers that say partially frozen and a thousand that say boneless because of the store's mix up. So I have so many stickers meant for grocery stores. I love that they felt like they had to do right by you. So they sent you a thousand more of a different brand. Uh, that is incredible. It's very, <laughs> very good. Yes. Please get your friends gifts is the point of this. Please get your friends stickers that say boneless and or partially frozen. The point of, of A Christmas Carol is Scrooge doesn't just get turkey for the person he works with. He also gives a whole bunch of money to the poor. Like, there's an element of this story that's about redistributing your wealth. And, and like, that is the part that so often gets erased. I recently rewatched the Robert Zemeckis Christmas Carol, the 2009 version. And I, for all that movie's faults, it really zeroes in on, oh, you should be giving your money away. Zemeckis has this weird um, 
leftist streak in him, which is, mm. I say, I call it weird because he made Forrest Gump, which is like a movie that was seized <laughs> upon by the, the Christian right. Yeah. But he has this real leftist streak in his filmmaking. And that movie, the themes he chooses to emphasize in A Christmas Carol are themes of if you don't help people, no one is going to because the government inevitably will be taken over by people who won't help them. Like it is to some degree, if you are a rich person, if you are Jeff Bezos, who has inevitably been visited by three ghosts, like you should be giving as much of your money away as you can possibly stand. And that theme, for some reason, when America got hold of the story, kind of diminished and went to the background. I don't know why that happened. Mm, so I odd. wish I wish that we could see um, that we could see that as like a necessary condition of kind of returning to the romanticized past. Yeah. Because I, I do think that kind of, um, you know, speaking about tradition, like a lot of Christmas movies that I am thinking of. And I just saw A Nightmare Before Christmas for the first time. And that and even Die Hard. Those are both fundamentally about I want things to be like they were before, but better. Like I want my my marriage and relationship with my wife to be like it was before, but better. I want, you know, my life here in Halloween Town to be like it was before, but better and more <laughs> fulfilled and with a companion. And hey, how we get there is with with less income inequality. And that would be a very practical and quick way to return to the sense of security, but not just for you. And and that's just, I don't know. I feel like the, the logical leap is like so small and yet would be so profound. I don't know if this is going to resonate with you living in America in the year 2020, but I sometimes feel like most people on the planet want everything to be better without having to do anything. <laughs> Mm, yeah. <laughs> for that to happen without having to give anything up, without having to, you know, find a way to like live your life in harmony with other people. It's a Wonderful Life is my favorite Christmas story. And it is a Christmas story that is fundamentally about building love and hope among community and finding ways to make things more equitable. It's a story about the ways that your life touches other lives when you attempt to do good things and you attempt to do the right thing and you attempt to give of yourself to other people. It's also about the downside of that, which is you can give so much of yourself that you give yourself away and you end up in a desperate place. But I think it is a story about like the importance of propping each other up, of helping each other. You see a lot of that in American storytelling and American Christmas traditions from the 1940s on because the 30s and 40s were this era when we literally had to do that to get through a depression and then an extremely deadly war. And like, I don't know, I don't want to have a depression and or an extremely deadly war anymore. Like that seems bad, mm -hmm. but it would be nice to like realize that these stories are saying something beyond, I don't know, be nice to people. No, change requires sacrifice. And yeah. I think that is something that we have forgotten. I also don't think it is a coincidence that so much of the Christmas media that we find to be the most authentic is also created by Jewish people, including Philip Van Doren Stern, who wrote The Greatest Gift, uh, mm -hmm. upon which It's Wonderful Life was based, uh, all of the good Christmas carols as well. And it's, I don't know, like it's this this like Christmas is just invented. And I don't think that the things that strike us as fundamentally true about it, us being like, you know, Christian American sort of uh, cultural thought is necessarily Christian at all. Yeah. Or at least the way that Christianity has like had an impact on the world for the last couple of centuries. So it's I don't know. I feel like there is there is no right way to do it. There is no obligation to have or celebrate or or like enshrine or make a legal Christmas. And I instead, I, you know, again, like I, I wish the I wish the takeaway was like how do we make at this time next year, you know, us feel a little bit better about ourselves, our neighbors be a little bit happier and more secure. 
There's a wonderful Christmas song, which I encourage everyone to look up on Spotify or whatever your, your music platform of choice is. After you're done listening to all episodes of Arden, available on all major <laughs> podcast platforms. Do it. There's a song called It's Christmas, So We'll Stop. It's by Frightened Rabbit. And Ooh. it is... Um, about the idea of, oh, today is Christmas, so we're going to stop being mean to each other. We're going to be nice. We're going to give of ourselves to each other. <laughs> but tomorrow is December 26th, and it's going to stop then. We're going to go back to the way things are, and then we'll have 364, 365 in a leap year, days of being venal and selfish and envious and just all of our worst impulses. And then we'll come to December 25th. And we'll be nice again. And like, it's a very sad song. I love it. It's one of my favorite Christmas songs. But like underlying it is this this idea that like, what if, what would it really mean to keep the Christmas spirit all the year through as Scrooge resolves to do sort of at the end of this story? Like, what would that mean? It would be a lot different from the world we have now. And like, the thing about it is Christmas Carol roots that in the individual's choices. But to make every individual make those choices, you require some sort of societal movement. Mm. It doesn't necessarily have to be like a governmental legal movement, though that's like the easiest way to make it happen. But you do need to create this sort of shared sense of community. And we just don't have that. You know, we have Christmas and Christmas is the time when we all are kind of together. Even people who don't celebrate Christmas like Jewish Christmas is a tradition of, you know, going to the movies and eating Chinese food and all of that. You have, um, you know, people who just celebrate the secular sides of the holiday. You have people who are like very like anti-Christmas and don't celebrate, but like it is kind of one of the few times in the year when we all are sort of continue to be drawn together by this one thing and we have a shared story. And what would happen if we extended that to the rest of the year? Yeah, or it becomes like a self-care day or time of year where mm -hmm. it's like, you know, society is telling me I'm not welcome in some of these ways. So I'm going to, you know, turn to the people who do welcome me and, you know, make sure I'm taking care of myself, too. Yes, perfect. I'm still thinking about how so many like Christian and like American holidays are are about death and Instead, I, you know, that's why I love that Jewish holidays are all about they tried to kill us, they failed, let's eat. And yeah. it's uh, it's a fundamentally, I think, more practical, optimistic and like interesting thing to ritualize. Yeah. the I mean, the core story of Christianity is this guy was here for a while. Then they killed him. Then he came back to life. And like one day he'll come back and save us. Have you done an episode about Jesus? No, <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm here for it. If you ever decide. That would be very interesting. Um, you got it. I have the baggage to prove it. <laughs> Maybe that's next Christmas is like, hey, what are we talking about here anyway? <laughs> but yeah, like, like that's the central story. So you celebrate his birth and you still have to talk about, well, the most notable thing he did. Yes, he, like he gave us all of these amazing lessons and all of these ways you should live your life that are still applicable today, except we're not going to really talk about those because a lot of them are like, again, well, you should give all your money away. What are you doing with all this money? But then he died and that was very sad. But then he came back and that was very happy. And someday we will die, but then we'll go to heaven and that'll be great. So it's wrapped. It's so wrapped up in the Christian worldview. And the Christian worldview is so dominant in Western culture that Christmas couldn't help but become a little bit about death. But that's cool. I like thinking about death. I like thinking about how everything is temporary. I think it is worth thinking about how tomorrow's December 26th and we're going to go back to the way things were. But I also like thinking about how would we build a better world? If Christmas gives us a vision of that, how do we find our own way to deliver a turkey to our employee's house? <laughs>
Yeah, including if it's, you know, if it's your your Christianity and relationship with Jesus that makes you want to, you know, apply like Christian principles of giving, yeah. you know, helping the poor, helping your neighbors to the rest of the year. Like, that's great. I think whatever your motivation is, you know, that is the thing that we should be reflecting on as we turn to the next year in the spirit of mutual aid, in the spirit of, you know, knowing that when institutions fail us, all of us can do what we can do to help the rest of the world. Yeah. That is my, you know, period of reflection as the year gets darker and then starts to get light again. Yeah. I, in the past year, have gotten really into witchcraft. I wouldn't like call, like, I don't call myself a witch because I feel like I should have to like, I don't know. Pass a series of tests. Somebody should send me a thousand stickers that say witch. And then I can mm. just like put it on every day and be like, hello. <laughs> but what I love about witchcraft is the idea of the wheel of the year, which is like, there are these fixed points in every year and they're tied to the natural world. And of course, it's a Northern Hemisphere thing, witchcraft traditions from the Southern Hemisphere, which they wouldn't call witchcraft, but like we sort of lump in as like folk religion, folk magic, that sort of thing, have a different concept of the wheel of the year. So I'm thinking from a Northern Hemispheric Western perspective, just to be clear, this idea that there are these fixed points in time and certain days of the year tied to the natural growing season. And of course, the 21st, uh, the start of winter is Yule, which is a time when you make a big fire. And like, there are all these mystical figures that come out of the woods and they're there and they're among us. And we gather and we accept that like everything ends and then everything starts over again. One of the reasons that Christianity became so powerful a force in Europe after sort of it, it started in you know the Middle East um, was because it's already an approximation of that philosophy. It's an approximation of, oh, there's a dark time, and then you come out of the dark into the light. And a lot of religions have that, but Christianity makes it so explicit that like I think that's one of the reasons it became, in essence, a very viral religion in the early you know, whatever century. I can never remember what to call centuries. I just, I <laughs> never can. First, I guess at that point. First, second, know. third, somewhere yeah. in there. Somewhere in there. After Jesus. The, way, the, the time after him. him. Post-Jesus. The, 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 that was really, that was the post-Jesus discussion show. Mm -hmm. That was like mm -hmm. the talking dead <laughs> of Christianity. <laughs> the talking dead, but for Jesus. Oh boy. Yeah, we're still in it. We're still in it. We're in season 2020 of it because we were like the way we were numbering things before. No, no, no. Mm -mm. Jesus was born. That means we should start them all <laughs> I'm over. I'm getting canceled by being <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Well, I feel like I have so much to uh, think about, reflect on, and and put into practice to try to make the world better around me um, at the end of this year, which I think is a pretty good thought to go out on. Yeah. yeah. It's worth thinking about what you would see if you were visited by your own three ghosts. What would they show you? What would you learn about yourself? What are you not doing? What could you be doing? What are you doing? Like celebrate the things you're doing that are good, that are useful, the ways that you feel you've had a good year. There's this thing writers do on Twitter where they link to some of the work they loved most over the past year. And it always makes me feel kind of shitty to self-promote so much. But you know, it's worth being proud of the stuff you did. If you like in the middle of quarantine, learned how to bake bread really well, or, you know, read War and Peace, or whatever you did, or even if you just stayed alive this year, that's a good thing you did. You made it. We're here. It's the end of another year. It's going to be, you know, it's as dark as it gets. We're putting up lights to sort of fight against that dark. And there's something beautiful about the idea that even today, as this goes out on December 23rd, it's a little bit lighter and it's going to keep getting lighter until it doesn't. And that's what's great about 
Christmas and life and time. Well said. I think if uh, America can tell the rest of the world that Christmas is a compulsory human event, um, Emily, you can promote what you have to do and uh, celebrate being alive. So why don't you tell us where people can find more of your work? You can find almost all of my writing on Vox.com. Uh, it is uh, just, you know, follow me on Twitter. I link to everything there. I'm, I'm twitter.com slash EmilyVDW. Um, right now, I'm doing a really great series at Vox of people telling me their stories of 2020. I just have found some of the most amazing stories. Um, wh- what's already up there is a story about a woman who, who nursed an injured baby pig back to health. There is a story up there about a man who like reconnected with his son because he suddenly had to become a stay at home dad. There's a story about actually this is going up tomorrow, but it'll you know, who knows when this will be listened to. There's a story about a woman who fell in love with her mailman. Like it's all just like wonderful stuff. So check that out. You also can check out my podcast, Arden. It is a uh, fiction podcast, a fake true crime show about two women who solve cold cases and sort of slowly fall in love. Our second season is just coming up on its ending. Our finale drops the 28th, which is, you know, a great time to be dropping a finale of a podcast. Mm -hmm. But it is uh, our second season. We've been doing a take on the play Hamlet. I'm really proud of it. I really think we've done some good work and I really would love people to check it out. And if you like A Christmas Carol and you are an Arden backer on either Patreon or Indiegogo, on Christmas Day, you are going to get, let's say, an Arden-themed Christmas Carol-ish treat. And that'll go out to everybody on January 1st. But by then, who wants to think about Christmas? So subscribe today. <laughs> we're, we're all free for another year. Another 10 months, at least. Yeah. I was going to ask when the Arden A Christmas Carol special was coming out, but you answered my question for me, which is great. Uh, I'm just. I, I think the central conceit of it is really funny. We have we have a billionaire on our show. Um, his name is Andy, and he is very upset. He has not been visited by three ghosts because that's when you know you've made it. <laughs> mm. I look forward to that. You've also written an article about one of my favorite movies of all time recently, which is Moonstruck. Oh yeah, I, I had I have an essay on Moonstruck in the Criterion um, DVD of that film. It is worth getting. <laughs> pick it up yeah extremely cool a good reason to buy a dvd well emily thank you for joining us again we cannot wait to welcome you back look out for it december 2021 and uh everybody as it gets a little bit lighter out remember stay creepy stay cool Thanks again to our sponsors at dipsystories.com slash spirits. You can get a 30 day free trial of this great self-care app at betterhelp.com slash spirits. You can get 10% off your first month of counseling and at everyplate.com enter the code spirits three to get three weeks of every plate meals for only $2.99 per meal. Spirits was created by Amanda McLaughlin, Julia Shafini, and Eric Schneider, with music by Kevin McLeod and visual design by Allison Wakeman. Keep up with all things creepy and cool by following us at Spirits Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr. We also have all of our episode transcripts, guest appearances, and merch on our website, as well as a form to send us your urban legends at spiritspodcast.com. Join our member community on Patreon, patreon.com slash spiritspodcast for all kinds of behind the scenes stuff. Just $1 gets you access to audio extras with so much more available too. Recipe cards, director's commentaries, exclusive merch, and real physical gifts. We are a founding member of Multitude, a collective of independent audio professionals. If you like spirits, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions. And above all else, if you liked what you heard today, please share us with your friends. That is the very best way to help us keep on growing. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time.